What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always. My new thing is skipping the social media, so we're going to get right past that. This interview was long, and it's long because it is with one of my personal like rap heroes. Man, when I was a kid, the Grouch and the Living Legends in general were just like everything to me as like an 18, 19, 20-year-old just starting like to see what they built when i was younger as independent hip-hop musicians it convinced me that it was possible to do this so i'm a huge fan and so to get to kind of like fan out and have a fucking two-hour conversation with this dude i'm not gonna lie like i don't fan out on the show often but it's like a dream come true so it was really dope for me and uh you know some of my best like show memories from that time of my life between like 18 and 20 something are at Living Legends shows or at shows where Grouch would just pop up or later on, like, opening for the Living Legends. I've gotten to play shows with them on more than one occasion, and I'm just grateful for all the music he's putting out uh, or put out over the years and, and just how kind of cool he's always been. So, yeah, I was stoked to do this interview. I'm not going to do, like, a super long intro. I'm just going to say that... Uh, if you are a fan of underground hip-hop and the hustle, this is a really cool history lesson on one of the most important guys to do that. So, with that being said, here is my interview with The Grouch. How do you stay busy these days? How do I stay busy? Yeah. Um... See, to me, having one daughter and just trying to live a regular life, it takes up all my time. You know, that's why I don't, that's why I'm in awe of this guy. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Yeah. One Can- daughter is enough for me. Right. You know, to take up all, like that could take up all my time just in that. Just right. in trying to hang out with her, get her to school, make her lunch, make sure we eat a good dinner, make sure we go do something fun after school. You know what I mean? I have a hard time trying to fit music in between that. Yeah. And I don't. You know, I'm just, I'm a slow, like, I need time to do things. I need time to cook a dinner. I need time to write a song. I'm not someone who could just go bang, 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 bang on on everything, you know? That's interesting. I got to say, like, just from what you present on social media and stuff like that over the years, I've always just been kind of impressed on how you've built a, a pretty fucking normal life, like, and, yeah. like, an awesome life, and... I mean, first and foremost, congrats on being able to like build a career and a life off of your passion for so long. That's that's rad. Thank you, and I'm bro. sure you don't get to hear. I mean, I'm I mean, I'm sure you're happy, and, and perhaps it's nice to just take a second and look back and go, "Oh wow, I did this." Yeah, yeah, that's dope. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, for certain. First and foremost, I want to like find out kind of where or how that life got built. So like, we'll go way back and just start with like, where were you born at? I was born in Oakland, California. Oakland, California. And how long did you stay in Oakland? Yeah, old Oakland, because you... Oakland now is a different place. Yeah. But um, uh, I stayed in Oakland till I was 22 years old. Oh, so like you, you're you Oakland native. Born and raised. Yeah. How'd your folks end up there? Um, My mother, man, you know what? I need to go ask some, some story. I, I, I'm saying some... I always try to dig up the past here, you know what I mean? That's crazy. Um. Wow. You know, I think my mom was born in the Bay Area. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know. Right. I should ask her that. So you got generations there, perhaps. Yeah. But she's, uh, I know that she did some time in Arkansas. Really? Yeah. And then my father, I know he was from Bay Area, Mm -hmm. for sure. 
he was a musician in the Bay Area. He what passed. kind of music did he play? He used to play blues and like you know jazz, blues, funk kind of stuff. Guitar? Uh, he played the piano. Oh, sick! Yeah. Uh, you said he passed. He passed. How old were you when that happened? Um, that was in two thousand three, I believe. Oh, so you're, you you yeah. were grown up at that point. Yeah, but I was yeah, a that's up. that's terrible. How, how did he pass? He passed uh, skin cancer. Oh, sorry to hear that. Man. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh. What was he like? He he didn't raise me. He was a musician. Okay. He was like a, you know, he played with a bunch of people like Eddie Money and Huey Lewis oh, and shit. like uh, who else? Like um, what's what's that dude? Uh, ah, I forgot his name. Wait, was but, he on the Back to the Future song then? No, he was oh. not on the Back <laughs> to the Future song. He he like played with some guys who made it, but he never really made it like yeah. that. But, he's, he's but like, he led the traveling blues musician life. Yeah, he was like a Bay Area independent musician dude. It's just a generation like, before. Yeah, a generation before. But he never really figured out how to like carve his own niche. You know what I mean? He kind of played with these guys. He had a, you know, he did have a following. Um, there's sometimes like somebody came up to me the other night with his records for me to sign at my show like in a San fan Francisco. Of yours. No, actually, it was a. It was a fan of his who, like, figured out that I was his son. Oh, wow. And so he came to the show and brought his records and everything. Wow. And that how, was... How did that feel? That felt great. Yeah. It was cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was cool. How often would you see him as a kid? Um, uh, Him and my mom kind of had this deal where it was like, all right, you're not... You know, you're, you're off the hook. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my mom remarried, and so... I just see him every once in a while, like Christmas vacation. Sometimes they would do like go like his side of the family would go do like a rent a rental in Tahoe, and mm. then I would show up over there and hang out with his side of the family. But yeah. I always felt like I wasn't really a complete part of that, like a bit of an outsider at yeah. those events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, he just had this. You know, he was doing his musician life, and then he married another woman, and they had a family. Yeah, and. You know, he kind of had this agreement with my mom. I don't know. My mom kind of just hooked it up to where she just took full responsibility. And right. I don't know. I, I kind of have some mixed feelings about it, but I kind of understand. But it's not how I would have done things. Right. You know? I was going to say, you, you, you seem to be such a strong family, man. Did, yeah. did that kind of inspire that? I think? think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, so. I always hear that, like, people, maybe with, like, dads who weren't particularly there, they, yeah. they try even harder to be a good dad or something, you know? I, I feel like that's the most important thing yeah. is for me to be there for my daughter. Right. Always, forever. Right. You know what I mean? Regardless. So mom remarried at what age? Um, she had to be... Oh, no, like, how old were you? I oh, mean, how old was yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I was, like, five. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's, like, stepdad was, like, there. Well, no? kind of. He, oh. he was a... He's a good dude. He was an alcoholic back uh, then. Yeah. Um, they had three kids together. You know, constant kind of fighting and stuff and mm. with with him and my mom. And it wasn't... It wasn't pretty. Did they stay together for a while, though? They stayed together for a while, but off and on, here and there. And then my mom finally got it together to where she was like, I'm not going to accept this anymore. And And then... Got rid of them? Yeah, got rid of them. And then then it was mostly single mother to four kids. Wow. How did did she support the family? Uh, She's a teacher. Oh, my mom's a teacher, too. Your mom's a teacher. Yeah, 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 for sure. So she just... I don't know. She always held it down, and she always... 
you know, her kids were the first thing for her. Yeah. You know, the most important priority. And how were you when all that was going on? Did you rebel? Were you, were you a feisty little kid? Yeah, I was kind of like, I, I mean, I was into hip hop, though. That's From a very early age. From a very early age. I was growing up in Oakland. I remember I was listening to this radio station, K-Poo, and it was an independent radio station out of San Francisco, I think. And they used to play Too Short, of course. Of course. Um, and they also played, you know, the East Coast version of, of that, which was at the time, what, LL Cool J, Run DMC. Right. Um, you know, I, I found Boogie Down Productions on that. And so, yeah, I got into I got into hip hop as a as a young kid. Like how how young do you think? I don't remember how young yeah. because actually even those artists don't don't add up in the dates, you right, know, cuz right. too short, I don't think he, he came, came out a little later than Run DMC. DMC. Yeah, right. you know what I'm saying? So um we're part of that first generation though where like rap was already alive when we were alive. And so it's kind of like uh if you're born in the early 80s, late 70s, whatever. Yeah. You just you don't remember hearing your first rap song because it was just already already on the radio, you know. Yeah, I remember hearing the stuff that was going towards rap on the radio. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't even remember what yeah. those songs were called, but but yeah, I you know nine or ten. So eight, when you nine, took an ten, interest to it, did you immediately be like, oh, I'm gonna I want to participate in this? Or oh, was definitely it? not. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. I just loved music. I loved rap. Um, and I didn't get that until I started getting into junior high and, you know, high school, maybe right. first year of high right. school or something. And I got that I got that feeling that I could actually participate in it because there were some guys around me who were writing raps. And then when I saw hieroglyphics at school, because I went to the same school with those guys, really? is when it really blew my wig. And I was like, oh, shit, this guy that I sit in history class with is on BET right now. Wow. So that's crazy. Yeah. So uh, as a as like a five, six year old starting elementary school, you got a alcoholic stepfather at home. Your mom's a teacher. Is she teaching at the same school as no, you? No, no, no. Well, actually, uh, some points. Yeah. How did you how did you take the school? Were you a good student? Oh, man, I never really I never really loved school. I really it, it was I was I could do it. Right. You know what I mean? I was smart enough to like get what they were teaching and everything, right. but I never liked school. Really? I when I was in when I was in high school, I think that there were semesters where I missed more school than I went to. No I shit. Would, yeah. I would uh you know, I would go wait for the bus and then wait for my mom to leave the house to go to work. Yeah. And then as soon as I saw her car pass, I would go back in the house. Really? Yeah. What or would else, you do in the house? Or else I would walk down. I would watch rap videos. Really? Yeah. All day. Like what, on the box? On the box. Yeah. On uh, BT, Yo! MTV Raps, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to wait for the shows to come on or whatever. And I would eat because I'm like a... I don't know. That's how I deal with my issues. I just eat. Really? I, I love to eat. I think. I've just always loved to eat. Really? Um, Were you ever like a fat kid or not? Never fat. I was yeah. going to say, you're like Skinny I, Bones Jones right now. Well, yeah, I'm always skinny. Yeah. I've always been skinny. I've had a hyperactive thyroid. Oh, okay. And um, <laughs> they found... <laughs> really? They, yeah, they found that out when I was uh, 18. You know, I was all... you know, I Damn, eat, lucky you, dog. Yeah, in, in a way, in a you're way. You're like, oh, I have to work out to try and stay big. I'm like, oh, I, I have to work out to try and not be obese. Yeah, dude. I wanna, I'm trying to gain muscle, like, all my life. You know, that's, like, my thing. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's like, I, I eat a lot of food, and I eat good food. And you were an athlete as a kid, yeah? Soccer? I still play soccer. Yeah. Yeah. When did, when did you start playing soccer? 
Ah, uh, when I was like six. Yeah, yeah. You, were you my good? mom was a soccer mom. I was great. I, I actually, in my mind, thought that I was gonna go pro playing soccer. No shit. Yeah. How, when did you? When did that uh, become a different option? Okay, that's okay. So I played soccer as like. You know, as a child, yeah. all the way into my teenage years, I was serious. I was on like the traveling select club. You were probably teams. in a good spot for soccer too, because I feel like the Bay Area was an early adopter to soccer culture. I think so too. Yeah. We were open minded up there. Yeah. You know, we had the we had the the facilities and stuff. And I, uh, you know, my team did stuff like we traveled to Japan when oh, I was really? eleven years old, wow. and, and we traveled to Europe when I was fourteen, fifteen. 16, How would you guys do times. over there? We would get our asses kicked because those are like cultures that yeah. evolve around soccer. Probably. Yeah, every every game. Like when we went to Japan, we lost every game. No shit. Yeah, and like we maybe won one or two in Europe. You yeah, know? yeah. But we we did like multiple trips trips to Europe, and and then I would. There's this uh, Olympic development program, right, right, where you go through like you're a you're a player on your city team, then you're a player on your district team, and then you're on your state team, then you make it to nationals. And I never – I made it to, like, the city, the, st- the the district, and then the state tryouts. And, you know, there was I, – I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I was on, I was on the path to, like – you know, get my mind thinking, oh, you're going to play in college. Maybe after college you yeah. can play. Um, there was no you know. MLS back then. I no? don't know. I think there was. was yeah, 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 it was probably early on. Yeah, but it was like a whack league. Right, and like it, right. would, it would open up and close yeah. every couple of years. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like the, the league they have now. That's funny. Um, but then I was fucking around playing basketball when I was 18 years old. Uh-huh. And I, uh, I went to touch the basketball rim i jumped up touched the basketball i saw rim. you about you're like I, I went up to dunk but yeah, you stopped yeah. yourself no, no, no. you went up to no dunk? that wasn't happening hops? no 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 okay i, I could touch <laughs> yeah. the rim like with the tip of my finger yeah yeah go ahead even though i was tall tall enough to where i should right, be able right, to dunk right, right but i was not that coordinated yeah. um and so you're out there billy hoyling and then yeah, what happens? exactly yeah go ahead yeah exactly and then i land on a ball when i come down from oh, the jump broke your ankle or something no tore my acl oh, shit. meniscus fucked up my knee and then uh that sat me down yeah and i was like now what am i gonna do yeah and that's when i turned to the music really yeah, yeah. wow that's crazy yeah. how long were you out for on that um i had three knee surgeries total and like each time i'd be out on crutches for you know like one time i think i was on you know fucked up for like six months yeah and then the other two were like two months or something how was your headspace during that time um i don't know i i uh I got into the music, you yeah, know? I got yeah. into the music, so I wasn't I wasn't tripping. That's like a better you know? coping strategy than probably how most people would That's how that. I coped, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, with everything that was going on. I, I moved out of my house pretty early, like 17, I think. You know, I started... I didn't get along with moms, and I was like... Because I didn't go to school. That mm-hmm. was the main thing. She was like, you got to go to school. You got to go to school. And then I was thinking rap, 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 rap. And she was like, turn that you know turn that off and well how would you if you weren't going to school how would you uh keep the grades up to play on the soccer team and stuff do just enough sometimes i didn't make i i couldn't play on the soccer team oh really and that was like heartbreaking right yeah right so that's another reason why my soccer career wasn't going to go anywhere right right. i wasn't making the grades i wasn't going to go to college Uh you know even though i i thought i was you know after high school i barely graduated high school right and then i took like a couple you know, junior college classes. And then I was like, 
I didn't even go to high school. How am I going to go to college? Right, you know? right. And so you move out at 17. Who, where did you go? Um, I went to a friend of mine's house, and his parents loved me. And my mother loved me, too. I just was butting heads because I right. guess that's what teenagers do yeah. when they want to do their own shit and the parents want them to go to school. Um, and so I did that. And then, you know, shortly after graduation, I think I just had some friends in in Oakland who were like, let's all go get a spot. Yeah. And so I always lived in these houses or like creative or enclave kind yeah, of. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like that. Oh, I, I want to go back for a second. When you were saying that uh, hieroglyphics is the ones that like convinced you that that oh, like whoa, I'm seeing people that I know on TV, yeah. and, and maybe that it could be real. It's so funny because hieroglyphics is like that was like my entry point into the like underground world. My really? friend, my friend gave me third eye vision when I was like 17, maybe, yeah. and I was like, and like Dell was everything to me, yeah. and like A plus and all them fools, yeah. and I'm just like, oh my god, like I've never heard rap like this. Yeah. And it was very shortly thereafter I moved to California and like um, th this is like very inside baseball, but I, I moved to uh, Pomona to go to school at Cal Poly and I was like talking to – somebody had heard that I was smoking weed with that I liked rap music and yeah. I was like – and they're like, dude – he was this Mexican fool. He goes, he's like, hey, fool, you got to fucking listen to Living Legends, dog. They're like so fucking underground that yeah, like you're yeah. not even supposed to tell people about them. He's like, you got to hear this fool, the Grouch. And that's like how that's I – Yeah, and that's like right when I moved to California, you're, you're like the first name that got brought yeah. up. So let's talk about how you got to there. You start uh, getting into these like little creative enclaves. Who are you living with? Yeah, I got to shout out Mexicans first. Hey, just because just you said Mexicans that. Mexicans are the best hip-hop fans. Mexicans love us. Yeah. And, and man, I just have so much appreciation for Mexicans. Yeah, absolutely. Being a Californian and growing yeah. up here, and uh, yeah, and you said that, so I yo just shout have to out make Mexicans. That, That's how I found out about no, underground hip hop for, for real. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but I forgot what you just okay. Asked me. So uh, when you move out at uh, seventeen and you start living in these kind of creative enclave warehouses and stuff, who who are the people that you're living with? Um, to tell you the truth, the first group of people that I lived with were these people who just showed me love from high school. But they were like a church group mm. and they were and they were like, we have this house over here. Do you want to live in it? And I was kind of like they knew that they were probably looking at me like some sort of project. Like, like you this, could be saved. Yeah. Like this yeah. guy's kind of fucked up a little bit. Right. But they liked me and they were cool guys. They were nice people. And that whole connection came because there was this girl that I thought was hot. Who, that lived there? Who went to the church. No. Oh, okay. She went to the yeah, church. Yeah. So, like, they, so, th so I met these people up there, and I was like, I was really trying to, you know, be with this girl. Yeah. And then uh, I ended up in this house. But then at some point, it turned into like they felt like they couldn't fix me. And I was like, <laughs> well, what kind of know, shit were you getting into? Because I, I wasn't doing anything yeah. bad. Were you, these, were you ever like, did you ever have like a drug phase and stuff like no, that? No. Well, I mean, I can get to that a little bit yeah, later okay. with the with the Living Legends story. Yeah. But, okay, cool. But at the really, time, nothing crazy. No, I wasn't doing anything crazy. Maybe yeah. smoke a little weed here or there. But yeah. that was that was big to them, maybe, you yeah. know. Yeah, right. And then I was playing loud music in the house and, you know, maybe I was inviting over friends that they didn't feel as comfortable with yeah. or something. Plus being late on rent, shit like that. You know what I mean? And they were and I think it got to this point where they're like, oh, this guy's taking advantage of us or something. And mm -hmm. I really I really wasn't. And, like, I just, and he's trying to get at the pastor's daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get him out. I just wasn't. Yeah, I just didn't ha have my responsibilities right. down at that point. You're just you know? like a fucking kid. Yeah. Yeah, you're and just I'm, being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually I I moved out of there. 
somebody through like a mutual friend of someone there and someone I went to high school with, this girl told me about Mystic Journeyman. Right. And uh, they were doing independent hip hop. You know, I was going to school with hieroglyphics and I was watching them on TV and I was hearing, you know, they're assigned to jive. Right. You know what I mean? Right. This guy signed to jive. This guy signed to jive. First, Dell is going to come out. Like, I was there before they did that and I was hearing their demo tapes. Like, we were getting, we were passing tapes around in school. You know what I mean? And so we were hearing all the early versions, like the four track versions and the shit that they used to get signed. And so that was like, this path that I that I recognize, I was like, oh, you make a demo and then you give it to a record company and you get signed. That was like that's what everybody that's was doing. That's how it was back. That's how it was. You know, there's A and R's and you get your demo to an A and R and they listen to it and then you go have these meetings in L A. Yeah. with these different record companies and that's how everybody was doing it. And it didn't really seem there. There didn't seem like an independent option back then, did there? Well, until I met Mystic Journeyman. Yeah, and that's. They were making music, and their shit sounded like a demo tape yeah. when I first heard it, and I first got the tape from this girl, Katie. Um, and then uh, I listened to it, and and the way they presented it was like, this is not a demo tape. This is it. This is this the is album. album. This is my album. Yeah. And it was a fucked-up four-track recording, and it was on a beat-up little tape with maybe like a sticker on it that had some graffiti on it or yeah. something like that. And, uh, you know, they had these little songs and they grouped them together, called it an album and was selling them, you know, on the street for five bucks. Yeah. Back when nobody was doing That's that. That's like punk rock like, shit almost. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, you know, being independent before independent was cool. Yeah. You know? Wait, can I ask you one quick like rap nerd question? Yeah. Being that you went to uh, high school with all the high row guys. Yeah. Uh, was Dell was going to high school there too? Uh, Dell, I, I think Dell was either there on my last... I mean, he was on his last year when I was in my first year. Was it like a known thing that he was like Ice Cube's cousin? Was that legendary yes, at the that time? That was big. Yeah, yeah, that was big. Yeah, I, yeah, I could yeah. imagine because like that was like the one of the like Ice Cube had like just gone solo. He was like the biggest rapper at the time. Probably. That was one of the biggest points, and it was also a rumor or a truth that. You know, Dale writes some of Ice Cube's raps. Right. Like so he people, wrote Gangster's Fairy Tale or something so like that. So was he just like you know? the man at school or what? Um, definitely. Yeah. He was the man in, in the Bay Area. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's in, in that in that genre yeah. of like hip hop, you know, because Too Short right. is the king. Right, of course. You know, but then it's like, oh shit, Too, too Short's like, I can't be like Too Short. I don't, I don't. Right, that's not my life. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, but these guys, yeah. you know, this is like. You know, because I'm listening to Too Short, then I'm listening to the East Coast, um, you know, KRS-One, Boogie Down Productions, and then later, De La Soul yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and Tribe, you know? Yeah. And I, then I'm like, and then when I see Hyrule, I'm like, oh, shit, we got a little bit of that vibe yeah. over here. That was the interesting. When I first found out about Dell, I was like, I was like, oh, wow, this guy, like, kind of uses similar slang to how I would talk. Like, he, and he uses, like, big words and shit. Right. Like, it was like, it was like cool smart rap right. all of a right. sudden right. that I hadn't heard before. So, uh, okay, so anyhow, you, uh, Mystic Journeymen are passing their tapes out and, and you get introduced to the, those are the first guys from the legends that you meet? Yeah. Okay. Those are the first guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were throwing these little parties already. Yeah. At, like, they, they had, you know, there was like some cafe or something that would let them come in on Wednesday nights and do a little night. And, you know, they were doing their shit. They were performing it. They were selling it. 
They were making posters. They were going to Kinko's and making flyers and just doing the whole. Laying the blueprint for yeah. what everybody would do yeah. after them. Right? Yeah. So How, uh, were you already the grouch at this point? Definitely not. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't even. You hadn't made any music yet. I hadn't. Like I had bought a sampler with one of my friends and it was called uh, Insonic Mirage. Yeah. It was like before the EPS and before the ASR 10. And it had like ours was like semi broken. And it had, like, I think 2.5 seconds of sampling time. Oh, wow. And so we would spin the records, like, super fast and then, like, try to get as much of the sample as and you could. slow it down? Slow it down oh, and put it together, you know. And, yeah. like, I think you could only do four different samples or something like that. It was crazy. Like, ours was fucked up. Like, uh -huh. and, uh, and we would we'd make little instrumentals with that. And then we would, like, put them on a tape. And then we would take the tape and we would play it on a tape recorder or a boombox and we would have another tape recorder recording and we'd go sit in the car. That was our vocal booth. Yeah, you know wow. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because we figured the acoustics were like more isolated yeah, in, in yeah. the car. That's so funny, man. And so the we, shit people had to go yeah, through. Yeah, Like so, ki kids these days, you don't <laughs> know what, you got, what we had to go through. Yeah, so that's – and then and then like we would like – our our mixing would be like how far – is the recorder from our mouth like should we put it on the dashboard or should we put it on the seat next to us <laughs> and like where are we going to put the, yeah. the source of the music should that be coming from the back seat and so we'd like experiment to try to get the mix for together. the dynamics yeah, and everything. The wow dude yeah that's crazy some dinosaur shit that's so crazy how did they turn out um they were funny they were fun yeah they were they were cool enough for me to play the mystic journeyman yeah and have them say oh like that's an idea what you know were you what rapping I mean? about ah uh, you don't have to spit just any bars, being just cool like, yeah, just yeah. being cool and like not i'm not average i think that was one of my first ones yeah um don't judge don't judge me by how i look because right. i'm white right. you know because back then white guys that weren't rapping of, yeah you know i'm in oakland um so what was your school like was it was it super racially diverse was oakland always kind of uh as compared to san francisco now you know they say like oh it's the city and then oakland is where all the black folks are is that how it was when you were growing up um i don't know how san francisco was yeah. but i know that oakland in the in the flatlands yeah. it was black schools uh -huh. and in the hills uh -huh. It was more diverse. Okay. You know, and Where I, were you and at? to be honest, I went to, well, I went to two different schools. I went to, I went to a private school and then I got kicked out of there and that was in East Oakland. That was actually like, there's a nice private school in the hood or semi hood, not, not so much hood, but you know, that was kind of that was kind of multicultural, but more white over yeah, there. Right. And then I got kicked out of that one. But Tajay went to that school, and so did Latif from Quantum. Right, right. And uh, so I so that's where I also was going to school with rappers. And then I got kicked out of that one, and then I went to one of the Hill schools in Oakland, which is the school that everybody I think wanted to go to right. at that time. And that's where. Um, it's called Skyline High. And shout out Skyline High. Yeah, shout out Skyline High. <laughs> and, uh, so you, but you grew up like in a pretty diverse culture then. Yeah, it was yeah. very diverse up right, there. Right, yes. right. I, I don't know what the 
the percentages yeah. were, but we had Asians, we had black people, we had Mexicans, we yeah. had white people. Yeah, I feel like because now I feel like it's so it's so democratized as to be able to make music now, and it's so kind of uh, and like rap culture is just so has overtaken everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? That I feel like there's probably white kids now that have never fucking met black people that try to rap and stuff. But you yeah. grew up around a lot of black folks, and you grew up around a lot of rap culture. Oh, being rap and my first show was to all black people. Yeah. I was the only white person right, in there. My right. first year or two was yeah. that. You know like what I mean? The, it was like walking around the whole Bay Area. Yeah. There wasn't any other white people, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. white people that I knew used to make fun of me for listening to rap. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, that, that, and I guess that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make is like when I first heard you, I went, oh, whoa, this guy's white? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like that was a... Uh, even in even in the late nineties, early two thousands, like that, that was pretty rare. You saw Eminem on TV at the time, but yeah. there weren't. A, I didn't know that it was like a thing that yeah. could happen on an independent level. Even yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So uh, you meet the Journeyman and you play on the tapes that you're making on the four tracks, or right. not even on the four track in your car. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what do they say? And they were like, okay, cool. And they were at the time they were doing like they were doing little world tours where they would go to Australia and then oh, really? go over to, um, you know, to Europe, you know, and go all through Europe. How are and they doing that? They would sell their tapes and they, as soon as they would make enough money, they would go straight to the, uh, travel agency in Berkeley. And like, there was this, like, uh, there was like a travel agency that gave like students deals right by the college. And they had found it, and for some reason, they would give us the same deal as the students, even though we weren't students. Wow. And so they, we were, like, getting good t I, I remember back then, you know, like, flying to, you know, London for, like, $350 no round way. trip or something like that, I think. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it was one way, each way. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, we would sell it. Well, I watched them do it first. Like when I first met them, they were like, "Oh, we just got back from a European tour," you know. So that's, I was like, "And, and you must have been like, like, oh, oh shit, that's shit. crazy." Yeah, I was like, "Oh shit, I want to do that." You guys are famous. Yeah, yeah. I want to do that. You know. So I was, I was on them. Like, how do I do that? How do I be down? And they were like, they were like very. Uh, I don't. I can't think of the word right now, but you know, they would always resourceful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. At that point, my grandmother had passed away, and she there was a vacant house that I had access to. So mm. I was living there with I had moved out of that other situation, and I was living there with one of my other friends, and I had space. And so I was like, "Yo, you guys need a spot, you know?" Because I wanted to be around the equipment and the life, and learn and figure out how I could be down with what they were doing, you know. And they were like. They were like, yeah, that's great. You know, we just got back from a European tour. They would do shit like move out of their apartment, take all their money, and then go on the Euro European tour. So just when put they, everything in a yeah, storage or something? I, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, right, right. So, so like when they came back, they I kind of just caught them. They didn't have a spot. And so then we, we had like a, a spot together, and they kind of showed me the ropes on how to use four tracks and samplers and I think when I turned 18, well, when I turned 18, I, I don't know how the, the years were at that time. Maybe I was 17 when I met them and then I turned 18 yeah. and then I went, first thing I did when I was 18, I got a credit card oh, shit. and I maxed it out on oh, an ASR 10 yeah. because 
ASR, a sampler, a sampler back then was like, that thing cost me like $2,500, you know? Really? Yeah. So, so as a teenager, it's like, how are you going to get that kind of money if you're not doing something crazy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, basically I remember being in the Bay area and knowing everybody in the Bay area, like knowing the name at least of everyone in the Bay area who had a sampler. Who was into hip hop? Right, you know what I mean. Right. A plus had one. You know, Casual had a SP twelve hundred or whatever. You know, and one of my friends, one of my rich friends' parents, bought him an SP twelve hundred. So I would go hang out. I would catch the bus all the way to Berkeley yeah. to go hang out there and just be around a sampler. Yeah, like the shit was like felt like magic. Right, you know what I mean. Right. Like just to see an SP twelve hundred. This is the machine that you know large professor is making beats on or right. something. Oh, and it's in front of me, and you got it. You know, let me touch it. Right. You know, that's how it used to be. So when I was eighteen and I got the sampler, it was just like, you know, I, I was in heaven. Yeah, you know? that's and, tight. And I was in debt. You know? I was gonna say, like, yeah. as a responsible adult now, I hear like, oh, I got a credit card and maxed it out. I go, oh god, yeah, my yeah. heart. But like, yeah. so were you? Did you have a lot of like credit trouble for a while? Or I was what? just, yeah, I definitely was yeah. in debt for years. Yeah. But I was like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, right. at all. Right. I didn't even think about it. Right. You know, that doesn't even matter at the time. So, did you buy mics and stuff too? Did you guys have like a little home studio? Set yeah, up? we had a home studio set up. Um, I had an ASR. You know, Sunspot from Mystic Journeyman. He he worked on a Nakai um s1000 and he had a four track set up and then eventually i got my own four track you know we had it was like sock over the microphone time um just dealing with like a sure mic you know and yeah there was one time where they went down to do some shows in los angeles and they were like they left me all the equipment and they were like when we come back we want you to have an album together. Did you do it? I did it. Which one was that? It's called Don't Talk to Me. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, of course. I know yeah. Don't Talk to Me. So you did that in like a week? Yeah, I did that in like a week. No shit. No, maybe, maybe a little longer. Maybe I had a couple of those ideas already going, yeah. but then I like actually recorded it. Right. And I put it, yeah, pretty fast. You ever revisit those old records? Man, I can't stand to listen to that stuff. I mean, I'm <laughs> the same way with my old stuff too. And I always wonder if everybody else is like that. Because isn't it crazy to you that there are still, still kids that like that's what they're hearing yeah. you for the first time and like worship? And sometimes they like that better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I I don't know how to explain it, but like being a, a, a rapper that's I've been rapping now for like probably 15 years. You know yeah. what I mean? And like the only thing that I like is usually the last project that I put out. And I think I sound like an idiot on everything before. But Same when here. I hear when I hear people go like, oh, yeah, this one's all right. But the shit before it was better. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. No. Yeah. How does that feel to you? Oh man, I I used to let it bother me, but now I don't care. If you right. like if you like the early stuff, you like the early stuff. Right. You know, it's all there. It's all a, a it's all recorded music for you to go back and listen to right. and decide what's your favorite and you know, if you like me better back when I was struggling and rapping this way, yeah. then that's okay. That's what it's there for. Go right. back and listen to it. And contextually, you know? maybe those kids that are finding out about it now are going through what you were going through yeah. at the time. So you know I, I mean? understand it. Right. And when they get to be my age now, maybe they'll like what I'm putting out now more. Right, right. Maybe not. You know, a 16-year-old kid's not going to relate to like, oh, hey, I got, I have a daughter and a family. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. So, that's a yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Right. I like that different people like different things. Right. That totally. Makes me happy. Totally. So what do you do after you have "Don't Talk to Me"? 
Um, after I don't, I have don't talk to me. I hit the I hit the avenue with the guys. Tapes. Yeah, tapes. Yeah. Um, boombox. Yeah. Playing the boombox. Uh, people walking by saying, "What? What the fuck? This is you?" Right. You know what I mean? Because back then, it's like now, if you try to sell a tape or a CD yeah. on the corner, if you're on pe- Hollywood Boulevard slanging people CDs, people are like, "Get away from me!" Right? You're like, like a homeless person. Yeah, yeah. You know. And so, but back then, no one. You know, I guess that. The closest thing I had heard to it was like two short sells albums out of the trunk of his car. You know what I mean? Or E-40 sells his tapes at the fucking liquor store on the corner. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, his tapes are like sitting up there next to the gum at the local right, right. liquor store. So, yeah. So um, how, like on a good day, how much, how many tapes would you have sold on a good day? I feel like 20. And would you make like five a pop or something? Yeah, five a pop. That's not a bad day's yeah, work. That's yeah. not a bad hustle. Yeah, for, for a teenager, you know yeah. what I mean? And then we'd hit, we'd hit the Ave every day. Yeah. And so as soon as we would get that money for the ticket, uh-huh. then we, we were out. We'd be like, where was your to- Where was the first place you traveled out of Oakland to go play a show? Oh, man, I have no idea. Really? You don't remember? Yeah, I don't remember. Was My it, memory is... You think it was man. like Europe? Um, uh, what I, I guess maybe the easier question is: Do you think it was uh, out of like out of state or out of country? I think I probably went out of country before no I went shit. out of state That's because so that crazy. was like the goal. Yeah. Um, but shortly after that, we went out of state. Like, how, how would you meet promoters to throw shows in in Europe at the time? Dude, we wouldn't. We would go. We would say Farside has a show in Amsterdam. Let's show up at their show. And just holler at the people. Let's go during sound check time and say, yo, can we get on? And they would either say, yeah. Like, like we would be out there and we'd see people like Razkaz or Farside and they kind of knew Mystic Journeyman and heard some stories and they'd be like, oh shit. You know, they'd be on their label tour that has them staying at nice hotels and buses and, 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 shit. and, buses yeah. and shit. And we'd be like rugrats, like, yo, can we get on? Yeah. And they'd be like, oh shit. You got, how are you guys out here in Amsterdam? Because that's so crazy. This is before, you know, there's not a lot of underground hip hop touring yeah. at all at this time. You know what I mean? That's so funny. That made me like a little giddy to hear to like have that context of you as the like struggle kid out there asking to get on because I've been that kid to you yeah. for like forever. I've opened up probably a dozen shows for you yeah. over time of just like bugging promoters like, please let me open for the Grouch. I think his fans would like my yeah. stuff. Please, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's like the same thing that yeah. you were doing with the far side. Yeah. And so they would start to recognize you at shows and shit. Yeah, sometimes yeah. like that, or sometimes they would say, "Nah, we don't want those." those guys we're not associating with those guys or yeah. sometimes they would say yeah we don't give a fuck let them on yeah for a couple songs or you and know, if they didn't if, would you guys if, just stand in the parking lot trying exactly, to slam exactly yeah. exactly if they didn't we would still you know just stand out there and sell like we used to i feel like we used to strong arm or punk people yeah. into buying our shit totally you know what i totally, mean totally totally and uh Oh, you haven't heard of this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's you that's know? great. You need to get this right now. Yeah, you yeah. got five dollars in your pocket. Pull it out. Yeah, you're not you a know? real hip hop fan. Yeah, you know, you know what I did to get all the way over here. Come right. on, and show some love. You that's know? so tight. So, when did it start catching on in, in California? Uh, we we were doing these things called um, underground survivors, uh-huh. and they were these. Uh, like showcases at this cultural center 
in Oakland called La Pena Cultural Center. Okay. And every Wednesday night, it was kind of like what we heard they were doing at the Good Life Cafe. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like there'd be like a house band for anybody who like, because I remember there were some people that were like doing jazz stuff and just uh, poetry readings. Uh-huh. And then there were some people doing hip hop and there were some people doing organic hip hop with like a band. And then there was other people who had like their own beats, uh-huh. you know, going off that that tapes uh-huh, uh-huh. you know um and so every week that would happen and be just kind of like a you know underground bohemian style gathering and people would hear about it and they would come through and you know it got to be a cool function that everybody counted on and went like to every week yeah every yeah. week every yeah. single week what so, day was it? was it on thursdays too it was on wednesdays on wednesdays yeah my first time ever seeing you perform. I remember uh, you had some song where you say like I didn't have, I didn't get to go out on them Thursdays, which was like a reference to to uh, like the the good life and the project blow shit or something. I think I don't remember what song that is, but coincidentally, the first time that I saw you was at it was in Lamert Park at, okay. at uh, the Chaos Network. Yeah, and like I said, I was going to school in Pomona at the time. It was when I was like nineteen, mm-hmm. and. Uh, me and some friends is right after I'd heard about you. We heard coincidentally that the living legends were going to be at this little venue. And we, we drove up thinking like, Oh, we hope the show doesn't sell out. So we stood in Lamert park yeah. from one o'clock in the afternoon until the show started at like nine, just smoking weed and lying and stuff like that. Crazy. And, and we were the first people there and eventually, which is so corny now to think back, but eventually, uh, there was a line around the block and it was like, you know how small that little yeah. room is. And yeah. it was just packed one of my friends like passed out from heat stroke. <laughs> so yeah, that's my first time ever seeing you perform. Okay. Nice. Now that being said, when do you start meeting the collaborative or the, the collaborative uh, entity that became living legends as a, as a whole? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, simultaneously what was going on down South. We, we were in the Bay area up North and down South Merce, Scarab and Eli which were they were going to Hamilton down here, right? Yeah, something like that. And they were like yeah, they were high school or fresh out of high school, but they had already been a group together, three melancholy gypsies. Right. And they were doing recordings and uh had you guys seen their music video? Not at all. Okay. I had I, I didn't know anything about yeah. them at yeah. all. Um, that one where they sample Nirvana, I can't remember the song, the song's called now, but they had, they have a high school video. Yeah, I know that. Right, song. right, right. I, I don't know why I'm blanking on the title it's of that sun song. It's Sun something. Sunspray. Sunspray. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's an amazing song for those young guys to come up with. It is. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, they, uh, I met Eli because a friend of mine was dating his cousin in Oakland. Okay. All right. Yeah. And. He met me, he was either 15 or 16, and I was 18. Mm -hmm. And when I was 18, a guy who was two or three years younger to me, I was like, that's a kid. I don't even want to hang around with that dude. And and his cousin kept saying, you should meet my cousin. You should meet my cousin. He does music. And I already probably had like some sort of a little ego at that point. I was hanging around Mystic Journeyman. I was like, man, this dude's a little dude, white rapper. You know what I mean? I don't know if I want to... He had, like, dreads at the time. Yeah, he had dreads. He had all these rings. He was, like, you know, super baggy clothes. He's kind of like bohemian dude or, you know... And I thought that was weird because I was always, like, more of a clean-cut, regular guy. Right, right. And uh, I didn't have any friends like that. Um, But met him. All he really wanted to do was get close to my sampler, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, and, right. learn, and, and learn how to make beats on the ASR 10. And the more I hung out with him, I was like, all right, dude is cool. He can rap. Right. You know, his style is unique. He came up to visit you then? Yeah. He he came up to stay at his cousin's house in the Bay Area. Oh, okay, okay. And so I met him how over there. How fucking crazily serendipitous is that? Like, this is all like pre the internet getting popularized yeah. and you guys were just through word of mouth. Well, it gets deeper than yeah, that. Yeah. Because I, so at that point, I have this relationship with Eli and then I, I have him meet my friends, Mystic Journeyman, and exactly at the same time, we're like, you know, this is probably like a week later. I still don't know anything uh, too much about Eli's group and history and where he's from and all that stuff. Me and Mystic Journeyman go do a radio show in Santa Cruz at the college. And up there is Merce. And so we meet Merce because... He knows some people in Santa Cruz who, like, work at the radio station and just, like I said, being around microphones and equipment and radio and, like, all that shit is just you want to be around it as much as you can at that yeah. point. And so he's hanging out at the radio station. We go meet him. So I I meet Merce without even knowing that he has any connection to Eli, but I already know Eli. And so somehow or another we figure out, oh, shit, you know Eli? He's in my group. You oh, know? shit. And so it's all like, whoa, this yeah. is crazy. How's he as you know? a teen? Who, Merce? Yeah. Oh, man, Merce. <laughs> um, he's just like a feisty little... You know, I'm doing everything my way. I'm not doing anything you say. Anything that you want me to do, I'm doing the completely opposite. Yeah. You know, you guys all want to go here and perform here. Fuck that. I'm not going there. I'm going to the movies. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, stubborn in a sense. Stubborn. Yeah. Me and him butt heads. Like, he's the only person who's ever punched me in my face in my life. Get out. Yeah, Merce. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Did you you guys all establish like long-standing friendships? Eventually? Most definitely, yeah, yeah, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, I love Merce. Well, um, why did he punch you in the face? But we hated each other for a while, really? but not really. But it was kind of like a, you know, a um, competition and yeah. you know egos and I don't know. He why. seems like somebody uh, from my experience with Merce. It's like. Uh, He's hard to he's he's a person where he he will not trust you at first but when he finally does then yeah. then you're cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. Like it's hard to get on his good side initially. Most definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um how, why wait, why did he punch you? I don't remember. You don't remember? Yeah. That's Some, so funny. It's so small, you yeah. know, but we all lived in a house. Yeah. I mean, not a house, a warehouse. At that like Yeah, you guys have like the I Mystic met, Journeyman warehouse yeah. that's in a lot of videos and stuff, right? After I met after we met everybody, we were all like, yeah, let's do this. Let's be a crew. And there were some kids, there were some guys who had a warehouse. They had just signed a lease for this East Oakland warehouse, which was like 2,500 square feet. And none of us like had our shit together enough to like get a lease like for such a cool place. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know, to like get a landlord to trust us with right. like a real spot like that. And it was like a real, you know, they, they started to do these uh, renovations of these old buildings and turn them into live work spots in East Oakland. And uh, so, you know. So who is it at the time? It's you, Mystic Journeyman, which is uh, PSC at the time, and, and, uh, Eli, and Sunspot. Eli, Sunspot, Mers, Scarab. Scarab was going to school. Scarab was the only one out of the... Uh, the melancholy gypsies who yeah. decided he was going to go to college after, after high school. Okay. And so, so who else was in there then? Um, well, 
the people who signed the lease were a guy was a guy named Picasso. Yeah, Picasso. Picasso okay. and his friend Gabe. They had come from. They had like gone to school in Humboldt. Okay. And decided they didn't want to go to school anymore. And they wanted to come work on music in the Bay Area and be creative. Right. So they got this warehouse. And somehow or another, we we met them and we knew they got this big warehouse. So we were all kind of converged on their shit over mm-hmm. there. Right. And we're like, can we stay? Can we live here? This warehouse is dope. It's big. And we could all be creative in this place. And so we started living together. And it was all those guys you said... And then there was Aesop. He had come from Fresno. Aesop was a guy who was, um, you know, he was he was constantly fitting, getting in where he fit in. Right. You know what I mean? Right, and right. he's kind of like uh, taking advantage of anything that he could take advantage right, of. He's right. like a go-getter kind of like, you know, he's a funny character. He's, right. a, he's a good dude. But uh he he definitely was like I'm in on this like right. you know he was coming to those Wednesday night shows and he was like I'm down I, I want to be in this like whatever he saw he, what was bubbling yeah he up saw what was, was like, bubbling oh, up this is this like, is gonna be something yeah, yeah I'm a part of this right you know right so he lived in there too basically we had nine or ten or eleven guys in this twenty five hundred square foot warehouse one bathroom we all built like these little corner rooms you know some people like me I I actually. Got the two by fours out in in the um the drywall and built myself a little room. Yeah, Merce lived on top of me. Oh shit! Yeah, and so and and we just had he in just bunk had beds. No, I'm just kidding. No, not in bunk beds, <laughs> but it was you know like yeah, yeah. bungalows uh, upstairs. Like, like he had like a little loft. Yeah, like yeah. a bungalow yeah. and like but his floor was like made out of plywood, and every time he would like drop something on the floor, it would be like amplified like. Oh, you know, shit. bang in my yeah, room and yeah, shit. Yeah. So we had this whole like living on top of each other vibe going on so where I was like, more yeah, like, <laughs> you know, when he had girls over, oh, God, I'm hearing it, imagine. you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And it's just like, yeah. How was that with 11 dudes? Was it like, exactly. a ma- was it a madhouse? It was a madhouse, dude. Parties and stuff. Parties, yeah. girls, um, you know, drugs, but not like weed drugs, weed and, and mushrooms. Yeah, I was going to say, and was there anything reckless? Like, No, was, nothing yeah. reckless. Yeah, that's yeah. good. But we like had a dope spot and like, you know, we'd, we'd take mushrooms and then climb on the roof and yeah. like we'd be in, we'd be all in East Oakland on the roof, but we were kind of like in this fortress of this big live work. It was like an old... I don't even know, like a shipping and packing center that they yeah. turned into. So you guys got to just be the center of your own little universe yeah. right there. But yeah. it was the hood, it, yeah. you know, semi hood, yeah. you know, um, and uh, very creative space, though. We had like. What the, projects are getting pumped out of there? Uh, nothing changes. I made there. Success is destiny. I made there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, success is destiny. I made in a in a studio mm-hmm. in Oakland, but I was living at that warehouse at the time. Mm-hmm. There, like we, I made the first two on the four track, and then I was like, "Oh, I want to go to somebody else's studio and try to make it sound cleaner right. and record on ADAT yeah. or whatever, you know." And so, yeah, I remember I've read stories about that, like the Living Legends warehouse, and kind of like heard you know little bits and pieces over the times that I've met you guys over the years, and it sounds like is it. Looking back, I would imagine there has to be a certain sense of like nostalgia and like that was like probably a super just happy time of life. Yeah? Oh man, it was fantastic. The best, right? It was fantastic. Yeah. We would make music. 
Um, you know, like the highlight of the week would be going to the Wednesday night underground survivors event. And so we would make music for that. And we would like every week. Yeah. Like, you know, it'd be a Tuesday and we'd, and, and like uh, sunspot had this, his bungalow was like in the middle of the whole warehouse and he would like invite people up because he had his studio there and, and you would just go up one by one and drop your verse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, and it'd right. be like, Sometimes, sometimes we'd even do it on the day of the show, and, and and he would be like, "We got forty-five minutes. Everybody got to drop their verse before we get out of here." Right? You know what I mean? Right. And and then we just go get the microphone with the sock and just cycle through and make songs. And like we were knocking out songs every day, right. and that was like, you know. There was also a, he put out a lot of projects like Underground Survivors. Um, UHB unsigned and hella broke. He always had these like more like um, uh, compilation type things with us before we were even calling ourselves the Living Legend. Right, and that's and, a, that's like probably a pretty smart move because it starts to show the scene that's going on and then yeah. and and what everybody is bringing to the collective. Yeah, does that start a certain mythology around you guys locally? Yeah, definitely. Um, See, they were Mystic Journeymen first, and that was the story. Like, yeah. th they were Mystic Journeymen, but then all of a sudden, we all get involved, and it started to get big really fast. Like, people like that, oh, who are all these guys? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, to an extent, it was like, I, I used to hear, like, oh, they're like the West Coast Wu-Tang. Yeah. We, you we, know what I mean? Yeah, we wish we were that. Right. I mean, at that, at that point. Right. We're like, oh, Wu-Tang, and like, you know. There's always that context, like, whenever there's a big group, yeah. you're like, oh, they're the new Wu-Tang. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely heard that when I got introduced, introduced to you guys. Yeah. And then there was, uh, I want to say that we were also inspired by... Uh, far side because they had this thing called the far side manor uh -huh. i don't know if they really lived there but right. they like on interviews they'd have like some big house that they all chilled in and kicked right. it in and right. so like we felt like we had our own version of that That's and tight. you know because they were some other people that we were definitely inspired by yeah as like hip-hop west coast non-gangster right you know what i mean and um, did you guys start touring uh, uh, around locally at this point or no yeah probably yeah. around that point I, you know, as soon as we started, we started calling ourselves, you know, I get mixed up with these time periods, yeah, but in fine. 97, I think is when we started calling ourselves oh, no shit. living legends. In that's 97. interesting. That's crazy. Cause I, I always like when I heard about, I heard uh, about you guys, like I said, it was like around 2000 yeah. and I just figured that you guys had been around forever at that point. Like, cause it's to me uh, as like this young kid listening mm -hmm. and hearing independent hip hop for like kind of the first time, yeah. it was like sounded so polished. And I'm like living legends. These guys must be, have been rapping since like the eighties dog. Or so, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah. I was like, they're legendary. Like, well, uh, yeah. Well, anyway. uh, mystic journeyman was probably 93, 94. Yeah. And then I came out with don't talk to me. 95. How'd you come and up then, with the name? I don't, I never asked grouch? that. I never asked that question. It's so generic, but I'm, oh, that's I'm all right. Yeah. Uh, the grouch because, you know, I remember saying my whole thing when I first started performing, like I said, I was, a white guy coming into a black culture and I was, you know, making sure I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not coming with ego. I'm not coming with bravado. My shit is like, I'm just me. I'm just a simple dude. I'm a regular guy. I love everybody. I'm, a, I'm about peace. Mm -hmm. And so I would have, I would like lay that out in a speech before I perform and just said, I'm a regular dude. My name is Corey Scoffern. 
you know? And so I was just had a regular name. I just used my name at that point. And, uh, you know, people were down with that. And, um, but hey, that was very early adopter. You could have been the first. Like that's like very trendy now to be a, yeah, re- a real name, name rapper. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could have been the first. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at some point, we're living together in that warehouse. Probably, yeah. I don't. Man, see, that's why I don't know how the dates work. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah, it wasn't hard. even in that warehouse. Yeah, but yeah. at some point, when I'm living with Sunspot Jones, we get into an argument because you know we're in close quarters all the time and roommates fight roommates fight and he's like fuck you you're the grouch you know <laughs> what i mean you're just the grouch yeah, you know yeah. like in the middle of an argument yeah, yeah and i was like whoa okay i'll take that yeah you know i analyzed like the like calling yourself the something makes people say oh who is that it He's sounds a little more esteemed or yeah, something yeah. you know you know so which is then, funny because over the years uh that i've uh encountered and met you uh in various degrees uh, of knowledge of each other you've always been so nice so i was like oh his oh, name yeah. doesn't fit right you know what I, mean? yeah. I was like why do they call him the-? I-, I was like the first time i met you as a 19 year old kid i was like oh my god he's gonna be like so mean and scary yeah, 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 yeah. and then i was like oh hey, he fucking smiles and he's yeah. like nice and asks questions yeah yeah <laughs> but at the time I guess I was complaining about, you know, I'm a teenager. I don't have much money. I'm not living with my mom. I'm kind of struggling. Like, I'm, you know, I feel broke. You know what I mean? I didn't have much money. Uh, I didn't come up with money. I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to college. So, like, all my shit was complaining. I would get a lot of speeding tickets and traffic violations. And I felt like... You know, cops wouldn't give me a break. Are you and a stuff. bit of an introvert too? Um, yeah, de- most definitely. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have any friends really. Yeah, you know, before that's I met thing. these guys, I, I think like even if you are a nice person, if you're introverted and yeah. you're living around a ton of people and you're not getting the alone yeah. time you need, you yeah. can seem like a fucking grouch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that that yeah. can happen. And yeah. then I'm feeling like I'm the white guy in in this culture, right. and like I don't know if anybody likes me. Right. You know. And then I'm making my album like "Don't Talk to Me" as kind of like really what i want is everybody to talk to me right. but at the time i don't know that yeah. i'm just like i'm fuck man the world is against me you know my cars my cars are fucked up i don't have enough money to pay for them uh-huh. and you know i'm not eating good and yeah you know i'm live I'm, I'm sleeping on fucked up couch bed things and right you know. right but uh but really that was just part of the process and, totally you know i'm glad i went through that you know uh so when do you well when do you guys move out of that place like how far along are you i don't know man yeah um did it just kind of wither away or was no it, it was yeah it's kind of just like we're all like our shit started to grow and we start have egos and we start to make a little bit more money so like now i don't have to record on sunspot shit i got my own shit I'm going to move down the street to my own. I can afford to like get my own place. And that was really like uh fulfilling to me. Like when I started to make my own money and like, like I always tell people that the time that I realized I was doing good and that I could, what convinced me that I could make it is when I bought a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, because I was like... Because it's mundane. And because it's like, it's like yeah. if I have enough money to spend it on a fucking vacuum cleaner... I'm comfortable. Then I'm then I'm doing something right. right. You know what I mean? Right, right. And so that's the point when it, like, hit me that, like, I can do this. Right. You know? And it, so I want to try to take you back to a time where, like, probably I was, like, most into you guys and see if you can tell me stories about this. So... 
when I permanently moved to California, it was 2001. And at this point I, I was making, I was going back home for the summers to Alaska and I was making like mixed CDs with like all, all your shit on it, whether it was like G and E or like, um, what was CMA with mm-hmm. you and PSC. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, stuff from fuck the dumb stuff from don't talk to me, yada, yada, yada. And then mixing it in with other, uh, contingencies from other areas like rhyme Sayers stuff or like uh deaf joke stuff. I was putting yeah. all that stuff on mixed CDs for people at home. Yeah. And so when I moved home, uh, or moved back to California, I was living in Santa Barbara going to a photo school and I moved in with this girl that used to shoot bands and, um, one day I go home and she's like talking to, I'm not going to say who it was, but she was talking to one of the living legends and I went, holy shit, you're yeah. on the phone with a living legend. And she's like, yeah, we can like go to Riverside and shoot their show. And I said, and like, we, we can like go backstage and stuff. I went, oh my fucking God. You know, so we go down there and do this. Like, like I said, so long ago, but I think you had already met, I think you had already met your wife, like who is your wife now mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and you guys are on the road and we end up, uh, Going down there, shooting the show, and this one still shooting film, and um, we and it was all these things like we were looking at you guys like you were rock stars, and and we had this photo shoot planned out for the morning after the show and all this shit, mm-hmm. um, but things didn't go as planned with somebody in the group, and yeah. yeah, and like somebody was banging on the door in the middle of the night of our hotel room, yeah. and, like all this shit went wrong. But the one thing that I really remember about that is that we went to like a. Uh, I don't know, fucking TGI Fridays or something. And somehow I end up sitting next to you at a table and wow. you're, and, uh, and this is the craziest thing. It was the night. It was really nice too. So it was like, you, this paints you in a good light. Uh, but I'm sitting there in like a bright orange hieroglyphic shirt and you're like, Oh yeah. Hieroglyphics. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like my favorite. And you're like, Oh, where are you from? And I was like, Alaska. And you're like, Whoa. And all of a sudden, yeah. like a real conversation started where you were asking yeah. questions about, about like, Oh, what's that like? And this and that. And I was like, dude, this guy is the fucking best. So cool. And so uh, right around that time, like a few, a couple years later is when like the big Living Legends album comes out, the first one. Because you had already done like Angels with Dirty Faces and stuff. Yeah. What was the first one called? Uh, I, 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 don't, I think it was the one before you guys were in baseball uniforms. Almost Famous. Almost Famous comes out. Yeah. And that was like, to me, that, that was like the peak when I was into you guys the most. Yeah. What's that time of life like? Because you guys were heavy buzzing like, and, and things were probably going great at the time. Man, okay. Let me try to get to that. I would say the first, the first nationwide tour we went on, Hyro took us on. Yeah. So we went around the country and we got – that was like laying the foundation for us to just create this living legend yeah. in, in – the United States. Yeah. Okay. And then we were doing the tours to, to Europe and we were also hitting Japan all the time, hitting Japan and we were doing good in Japan. Yeah. They loved us in Japan. Um, living legends started to get big. People wanted a living legends album, but like you said, there was only angels with dirty faces. And then there were these unsigned and hella broke compilation things. And then we were like, we had met, uh, rhyme sayers sayers guys like on a trip around the country um and just the word was just starting to blow like we how were was our- it touring with that many people was it good was it oh, good? It was fantastic it was awesome yeah. yeah it was fantastic yeah. you guys had a lot of fun yeah so much fun that's good but it was also like quick and like uh you know I took a lot of the travel for granted back then right. and like didn't absorb everything. And we started to blow and that's a little bit 
early right there. So we still kind of had our, our heads on and we were still just riding off this creative energy. Like we all just were creating so much stuff. And that was like the coolest part about it and watching people react to that and going to like showing up in the different cities for the first times. And they know the raps, you know what I mean? And like seeing that and feeling like, Oh, we're doing it, you know? And getting the magazine articles when we go to Japan and stuff like that. But there was a part of me that was like, we still have to lock it down and make a real album. That that was my thought before Almost Famous. Yeah. And we were going to Japan and we were technology heads. Like we we wanted the coolest samplers. We wanted the little beat machines that you could make portable beats on mm. on on the airplane. We wanted to be able to record on the road. And that was like, you know, this is all unheard of back then. So we did all the studying up. Roland, Roland is coming. Like back back then, everybody's recording on ADATs, you know. And so Roland is coming out with a, um, you know, a portable recorder. Mm-hmm. I forgot what it's what it's called. I'm stupid because I should know that it's because right. it was so it was so ingrained in us that like we knew the dates that shit was dropping. Right, we, right. We knew when the first CD burner obsessed. when the first yeah. CD burner was coming out. And like back then shit didn't come out like Apple wasn't on yeah. top of the game and they didn't have the the most advanced technology. Sometimes you had to go to Japan to get it. Right. So, like, we would go to Japan and get shit that wouldn't be out in America yet. Wow. And, you know, that was our goal was to be portable. So, like, when we travel around the country, then I can just be in, like, we would travel in Winnebago's RVs at the time. Yeah. And I would have this rolling 1680 machine hooked up in the back of the RV and, and invite Slug over to our RV and have a beat going. Drop a and verse. Drop a verse. And that was like amazing at the time that you could be on the road and record something yeah. like that. And uh, I think st- people are still surprised by that. Like that's still amazing. I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's tight. And so, uh, and so that's how we were putting together that album. I was like, I, I actually, I actually, you know, I don't like to like be on my own dick, but I mean, not even, I'm not even saying that, but I did spearhead a lot of that album and I had it in that Roland, that Roland machine. You know, I laid the beats down. I made a lot of the beats. Eli made a lot of the beats and we had like the skeleton for the album inside this machine. And to be honest, there was a point where I was like, man, Sunspot keeps making these little compilations and shit and it's not called living legends it's called like sunspot jones angels with dirty faces but it has all of us on it fuck that yeah that felt like a living legends album yeah exactly and he and he would he would sell that and he'd make all the money for that one at that point because we were like in the wild wild west of understanding how business is going to work and all that and so i was like fuck that we need an actual living legends album that we all make equal money off of and that is like a cohesive album and so we put that together in the Roland 1680 and then we i think we took it and then like 
had the portable box that we got all the pieces on and then we brought it to a studio and exported it out. Yeah, because it sounded polished. Here in L.A. Yeah, it was – I feel like if my memory serves me correctly, it sounded like much more polished than, than any the other of the stuff. individual projects that yeah. sounded before. Because Eli and I were always like so intrigued with trying to get the best quality. Yeah. and. And also, we were underground, but we were like, we want to sound like the big dudes. Right. We want to be like, we, you know, there's a lot of, a, there's there's always like, you know, throughout our career, a longing to be like the other guys who are like, oh, man, you know. Well, and that goes back to like what, what I opened up with of like, yo, man, you fucking built a life off this. But yeah, when you're doing it, yeah. you're never satisfied. Yeah, never satisfied. Like you probably don't feel like you reached the goals that you wanted nah. to reach, but you've reached yeah. goals that so many people wish they I had. I understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, so that's what I, and that's what I meant I by that. I go back and forth Absolutely. with like, you know, feeling grateful for what I have and then saying, why didn't I get to make it onto but MTV? It, and you know, why the, the you older know? I get, though, the more yeah. that I think that that's just a creative mind state. Yeah. Like, that's just how people yeah. think when you're when you're doing this. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, so, but nah, man, you did it. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> but so we were like, yeah. you know, I want to record at the same studio the Dog Pound records at. You right. know what I mean? So we looked that up in L.A. and we found like someone who engineers for them. And, you know, we like went and got it mixed there and stuff like how that. How did it feel when you guys put it out? Um, Was it anticlimactic? No, it was good. It was good. Yeah. It was good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember exactly what happened. I, I remember like having securing like independent distribution deals yeah. and feeling like we had, you know, getting our shit in Best Buy, right? like local Best Buys, like not nationwide, but like local Best Buys. And then, you know, we always wanted our shit to be in all the real stores as, as well as the Amoebas and the Leopolds and Rasputins. And, you know, cause we did during the early days, we did all our own distribution and we dealt with these mom and pops all across the country. Did you guys have like a phone network? Phone or, network. Or would you, okay. Yeah. Would you also go like in during the, like the tours go to oh definitely knock on knock yeah. on their doors basically definitely yeah, yeah yeah and so we had that locked down i mean we we made great money like that right you know what i mean yeah because you would you would have like a local mom and pop that hits you up like oh hey we sold out of your cds yeah. we're gonna send you fucking 50 bucks send us more i i mean i remember i remember planet asia working in uh he used to work in Amoeba okay. in Berkeley, yeah. and our shit was cracking off. And he he had moved from Fresno to the Bay Area, and he was starting to get with people. And he was a dope rapper, but yeah. he he wasn't you know he he wasn't fully established yet. And yeah. and I was going into Amoeba and killing it. Like I I remember showing him like five thousand dollar check that I got from Amoeba mm -hmm. just from bringing in a couple boxes of CDs. Wow. You know what I mean? And wow. thinking, and him seeing that and, and me just not being in belief. Like I'm a, I'm a teenager That's or cr early That's crazy. And I was yeah. getting a $5,000 check from the Berkeley Amoeba. Then I was getting in my car and driving over to San Francisco and hitting them like that. Wow. And then I'm going, you know, and then yeah. when they open the one up in LA, it's like, yeah, we used to make good money like that. Yeah, that's you know? great. That's I, so I didn't. Crazy. I didn't have to tour. All I had to do was sell CDs, wow. and I was living good. Wow. You know, um, and and people would always say, "Well, you got to tour to make your money." And like, as as later, you know, as things progressed, it got to be more like that. But yeah. for a while, underground CDs, we were just killing it. That's that's yeah. crazy. I've never heard like I've never heard numbers like that on yeah. the physicals. That's amazing. I mean. Uh, 
you know, I was I was buying cars and cash and shit like that. Wow. I was like, uh, so you were living the rap life. I mean, not okay. I'm talking. <laughs> no, I'm, no. I'm You're talking. Like, it was a sensible Volkswagen. All no, right. it was not a, like a like something crazy. Yeah, but I yeah. remember paying. Like I remember saying, I don't want to be in debt. I want to buy a car in cash and be done with it. And That's I tight. and I did that once yeah. in my life. Yeah. Once in my life. Right. You know what I mean? I had a I had a I bought a house. As a young, you know, twenty-three or four-year-old, wow. you know, yeah. and uh, and uh, you know, but that's that's when I was richest, right? Money-wise, right, right. You know, um, so when you guys put out almost famous, like, what's the response like? Do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah. It just did well. And, and got- like I remember it it did well in Japan. Yeah. It did well in Europe. Yeah. It did you know, it did well everywhere. And that that kind of just put us on this on on the next level to where like we had a booking agent right. you know what's it called a uh, peter schwartz yeah the agency the now. agency group. it used to be yeah it used to be called something else but it's like yeah the agency group now yeah um uh that's the thing so right around that time just at, uh contextually as a rap fan it, it was so interesting because i was like a little early on on all you guys that were kind of like the alt indie rap scene and then I, and it was like that same year like right around 2001 where i felt like all of you guys took it to the next level at the same time where it was like the living legends boom this big official album and then like i think um slug had put out god loves ugly and that got a lot of national attention yeah. and like uh i think lp shortly thereafter put out his first big record and it was yeah. just like and I was like, whoa, all these guys are like, yeah. it's fucking on right yeah. now for you guys. And I remember you guys went on a big national tour for that. Yeah. yeah. We actually, right before Almost Famous, I think we had moved, we had made this move from Northern California is where we were in the warehouses and stuff. And then I met my wife up there because I started getting popular and I was able to get girls for the first time that yeah. I thought were amazing. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and I met her up there, and we all decided let's move down to L.A. And really, you know, because that's yeah. what we thought. We, you know, in the Bay Area, we had taken it pretty far. Like we were selling out twenty five hundred person venues. Um, this place called the Maritime Hall yeah. in San Francisco. So we were like having cracking, cracking shows. Like right. it was like Living Legends was was the shit. In the Bay Area, yeah, you know, and yeah. we and we could do it over and over and over again. Really, yeah. So 20- was it like that in LA too? Um, not as big, and that's what we were like. We need to take what we have in the Bay and make this in LA. So did everybody come down to LA? Yeah, pretty much everybody. Merce and he had already he was like home. Yeah, for they, him. yeah. yeah. Merce, Eli, Scarab had already been from there. Lucky I am um, was from Los Angeles as well, but he yeah. had been in the Bay doing Mystic Journeyman. Where where were you staying in LA? What part of the what part of the city were you in? Actually, I wasn't even really in LA. I was in the Valley. Oh, really? That's where I could afford a house. Yeah. Oh, so, so you bought? So I bought a house. Look at you. That's crazy. I, I fuck. Here I am, 34. I still don't have any, like, uh, chance at fucking buying a house in the L.A. area. That's hard, man. That's tight. Where, uh, what part of the, the valley were you in? Uh, they call it um, Lake Balboa, but oh, okay, it's really yeah. dressed up part of Van Nuys. Okay. How did you like living down here as opposed to the bay where you'd grown up? Pretty much, I just stayed in the studio. Which I, I converted my garage into a studio, and I feel like I stayed in there the whole time I was here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, um, were you still building new relations with people? What I've always been interested in throughout your career is that you collab with a lot of folks, and yeah. it seems like you make like long-lasting friendships with yeah. a lot of folks you collab yeah. with. Um, who, who were you meeting around that time? Well, we had 
we got I got close with Slug a little bit because Merce and Slug were doing Felt. Oh right, right. And I I produced you that produced first one, one yeah. and they and Slug and Slug came out here and we all did that in in my garage. Nice. In down here and then uh, Abstract Rude is is really a, a close one to me. Um, I just always loved his stuff and then being down here. I mean, to be honest, I didn't get out and do what I was supposed to do in L.A. Like, I didn't go schmooze and hang and out and any of that stuff. You know, I recorded a couple songs. I, I hung out more with AC Alone and Abstract Rude than I would have if I lived in the Bay, but still not so much. Right. Um, but at that point, you're, like, essentially already a family man. You got your girl. Yep. And you true. got a house. I got a house. And there's like, and I live in the Valley. It's like, what's the point of going and out? And there's really? traffic everywhere. Yeah, totally. And it's like, that's what I learned that made me want to get out of here. Yeah. Um, How long did you stay here? I stayed for eight years, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and here, this is me like making a confession. I didn't keep up with the later part. Oh, of that's the, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what happened in those eight yeah. years. What, what what have you guys been um, through? I know G and E got really popular. Con well, okay, this is what happened. Yeah. Living Legends blew up off of that almost famous, and then we did uh, Creative Differences, I think, and yeah. then we did uh, Classic. We did Class. Well, that's a lot of time. Um, yeah. But okay. Almost famous, then creative differences. Then we had the blow up, and you were talking about big tours nationwide. Yeah. We did that a few times, and we got pretty big. We were hot, you know what I mean. Every right. city that we got came to, there were girls. There was we we were listening to, you know, we were underground rap rappers, but we're listening to, listening to Fifty Cent, Dog Pound, J O Felony, um, you know, even Hot Boys back at the time. Um, and we were getting pumped off that shit, like before we would go do our shows. Right. And so we got big buses and they're filled up with girls and they're filled up with, with drink. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're drinking, I'm drinking to almost a point of passing out every, really? every single night. On what, the, what was on, your drink? Um, we're drinking mostly Hennessy. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Hennessy. Yeah, shout out to Hennessy. <laughs> One of our sponsors. But, but not really. But not really. Yeah. Um, so how long is that going on before? Like, did you... I, I imagine I was, that you're saying that there was some kind of crescendo where you realized, oh, this is a problem now. I was with my girl and yeah. I was doing all that. Yeah. You know? And I was... Uh, <sighs> what else happened? Yeah. I was... I was feeling shitty. Like I would come home from like like literally like a sixty day run mm -hmm. of hitting the Hennessy bottle every single day to the to almost a blackout point and then waking up and just trying to lay in the in the bunk of the bed and drink water all day so I could do it again. Right. You know? And right. then certain guys were going harder than that and, yeah. and starting to pick up other things. So does it start to feel empty or something? Um well, I, I, you know, I get in trouble with my wife, mm. who, who wasn't my wife at the time, but that I almost lost her, and that was, you know, she's my love of my life, and right. so she was, um, or one of them, you know, but right. but I didn't want to lose her, and so, you know, there was a huge breakdown with that at some point, and. Uh, I remember coming back from like I left a tour early like a we were all in Germany and you know some shit hit the fan and then I came home and then uh to try and like to fix settle it. a beef yeah, yeah. yeah and then uh and then you know somehow or somehow or another I was able to pull it off yeah keeper 
And then I was like, you know what? This shit wasn't serving me anyway, you know, because I'm going down something that's not, I'm going down a road that's not sustainable. Uh -huh. I can't get drunk like that. I can't, you know, we were inviting girls on stage and doing, like the music started to go into a more party direction, right. you know, and those parties were great and they were fun and they were learning experiences, but it wasn't something that was sustainable. Yeah. And well, it, it seems like to an extent when you're playing that many shows, you start to realize probably that like the turn up songs do the best at shows. Yeah, so it's like, we got to write sure. more. We got to yeah, write more. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's like I said, I'm listening to 50 Cent. Yeah. Like I, I want to make a song with a chorus like that. You're living the and rap then, dream. And then I'm and then I'm starting to hear my music. Like I'm trying too hard to try to make something that's like more mainstream. Even though I can't do it. Right. There's there's nothing I can do to make right. a mainstream song. It's always going to sound like underground a, grouch in some yeah, way. Yeah, totally. And I kind of knew that, but I still like you know. We, That's always been my favorite part about the whole argument of like, oh, this fuck ignorant <laughs> pop rap. I'm like, yo, do you know how? hard it is to write a pop rap song that Man, a million people love like I can't that's do it impossible you know so yeah exactly so, so uh, anyway so yeah you're writing that kind of you're trying to like write stuff yeah a little more upbeat yeah yeah, yeah. that type of stuff yeah yeah uh, how how'd um, you, you but you guys settled the family differences i or settled the yeah. family difference and then i was like you know what i'm i'm done with this shit i'm done with the like party party rah rah you know and then i flipped it and 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 i almost like looking back on it, I almost flipped it too hard, but I didn't because that's what I needed to do. Like, you know, I cleaned my shit up. I was at that point, there was no living legend who could do a show sober. Like we were all getting fucked up to do shows. And that's not how it started. I started as a guy who wanted a positive message. Yeah. I was completely sober. We were all like uplift you know, positive hip hop, because that's what we learned from, you know, um, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, High Roll. We, yeah. we wanted to push that positivity and fun. Right. You know? Right. And so. Was there a lot of internal conflicts at that time? Um, it started to be like ego battles. You know, why is the, you know, you guys are more popular in the group because you're white. You know, some of that was I, there. I, I was always curious. Like, that's the thing. Uh, I, this was a question that I tucked away earlier. But when you were saying, like, oh, I was the white kid at these functions and didn't want to, like, step on any toes or didn't want anybody to think that I was there right. out of place. And I was always wondering if that ever flipped to where it was like, well, now you're the white guy that's popular. You know well, yeah, I mean? because this underground rap, turn, like, hip hop got to be the most popular form of music at, yeah. at some point. And then the audience starts infiltrating as white people were doing college shows yeah. i mean to be honest i'm i'm probably pinning some of my raps to you know to aim towards those people because these are the people who are showing up at the shows and i want to get a reaction from them and it's a and business I, and, and i know, you know the I mean? kind of react i know you know if i say say self-deprecating stuff then this kind of audience is going to feel it you know or right. if i say you know but it was never my intention to make a white audience is i for years i was like please yeah. more black people come yeah, and yeah. like recognize us as legitimate hip hop too yeah and that never happened it, it you know? and you can't help that and i can't help yeah. it and i can't be mad at yeah, it yeah right exactly you know but i love all people and i want everybody to love my music right right and uh so there's some know, ego battles going on some ego battles yeah. going on and then it's like and then it's like i kind of you know all the party shit was like I'm getting high fives for dealing with groupies and being fucked up and being a party man. So it's like when I stopped that, it was kind of like, yo, what's up with Grouch? He's weird now. 
you know like was there like some uh, always turning his back or something yeah or? kind of yeah. In, in a way because i just uh i kind of like cut that shit cold turkey and i remember like was it hard it was very hard i remember like having to be feeling like i'm going up against something just because i'm doing a sober show and i'm like and the way that i am i i presented it like that like i used it as a music like i'm on stage now and i'm sober yeah. This is my first sober show. Please give me some love. I'm sober and I'm trying this shit and it's hard and I'm trying to face you guys. Was and, it hard to kick the booze too? Um, like, like, or you know what I mean? Did you have like a physical reaction to any of that? Was it at that point? Not a physical yeah. reaction, but it was so, so ingrained. It was a yeah, habit. Yeah. It was like, it was pretty hard. But yeah. then once I did it, it wasn't. It's right. like, I'm just, I was just over it. Yeah. I had like moved past it. So is this and, around the time that you like up and moved to Hawaii? No, not yet. Um, this is around the time that I got my wife pregnant. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. we we went through this 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 time. Yeah. And then we got pregnant. Hey, Marvel. which is which was probably like God stepping in. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and so now you got this new life on your mind to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm like, I only want to push shit that my family can be proud of. Right. You know and. And then that's when I started. I had always had this relationship with Zion I yeah, from the Bay Area. Right. And they were like always good-hearted, positive people. And we had made a song together called Silly Putty that was very successful for both of our careers. Right. And so then we started our Zion I and the Grouch collaboration albums. Right. And, uh, and I remember just... I remember stopping doing a lot of Living Legends stuff at that time and even music, period. I'm, I just remember when I got my wife pregnant, I just dropped everything and just focused on family and gardening and house. And, you know, I just remember like less phone, just I was in, I was living life, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't even, I wasn't. I was like, how am I going to pay the bills if I don't do enough music and business? But I, but I wasn't scared. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do. And for some reason, even though I neglected everything business-wise, like opportunity still came. And like I was supported by the universe in that way. I was going to say to an extent, like living life is kind of the ultimate rap flex. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's like the ultimate power move. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's tight. So we had our daughter, we had her at home. I, I got on this whole kick. Like when my wife got pregnant, you know, immediately when the hospital finds out that you're pregnant, they bombard you and start sending you all this stuff about, you know, appointments baby this. formulas, appointments at the hospital, all this unnatural shit they want you to sign up for. And I was like, yo, why am I getting hit? This is like I'm getting hit by businesses and companies and shit in my mailbox. And they're trying to get at my kid and my kid's not even out of the womb yet. Yeah, you know, right. And and we were like that hit me like, oh, that's nasty. You right. know, like what kind of business is this? And yeah. then. Like, you know, someone told me about this movie called The Business of Birth or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we watched it and it was all about how, you know, 
from the minute the woman goes into the hospital, they want to shoot her up with some sort of, you know, Pitocin to make things go faster. And then they want the woman doesn't want to feel pain. So they give her another shot, basically makes your baby high off drugs. You know what I mean? Your baby comes into the world in some like crazy state. Yeah. The woman is subdued. The connection to the baby is lost because they take the baby and they put them in Those another first room. Chemical reactions you know what happen. I mean? Right. All that stuff. Yeah. So that led us on a journey, you know, and then they shoot up the baby with all the uh, antibiotics or whatever, the yeah. vaccines and all that stuff. And this is a little, little tiny under 10 pound baby, you know, yeah. and, and it's not natural. So we got on this kick about what's natural, what's the best way to bring a baby into the world. We had our daughter in water naturally at home. Yeah. And then we just got on, you know, we got on this, this whole health kick and like, how should we be eating? And, you know, just this consciousness, spiritual yeah. vibe. And we were, and then at that point, it just didn't seem like the Valley served us anymore. Right. And when my daughter was close to two years old, we had been going to Hawaii back and forth because we do shows over there. Yeah. And we also recorded a Living Legends album called Classic yeah. over there in Maui. Right. right. And uh, that place just always resonated with me and my wife. It's so beautiful. There. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would be <clears throat> in California, like eating dinner or washing dishes, just daydreaming about Maui. And uh, one day I just got on the – actually, my wife would go – my wife and I would go there for vacation every time it was time to go on a vacation. Right. And we said, well, we got to pick somebody somewhere else or else we're never going to see any more of the world, you know. Right, right. And so I got on the computer and, of course, like somehow I end up on this Hawaii, Maui, six-month sublet. And, uh, you know, it was like on this beautiful property in, you know – off the grid, you know, water from catchment, water from the rain and solar power and everything. And so we went and lived there for six months. And by the end of the six months, we were like, we cannot argue with how we feel. We have to live here. How, how long have you been there now? Nine years. You still out there? Yes. Where, where are you staying while you're here? Um, just like hotels and stuff? Or no, like you just my, here for a little bit? My brother lives in Santa Monica. My, I, I kind of like vaguely know your brother through the scene. Brad. Yeah, Brad, because yeah. he works for OF, right? Yes. Yeah, good dude. Um, Very. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's amazing. Yeah, what side of you live? you live like over by Hokipa? I live uh, in Kula. Okay. 2,000 feet up the mountain, up the volcano Haleakala. Okay, word. And... Uh, yeah. The only time I ever been to Maui, I was we were just talking about this. I was I was like on a photo shoot out there. We were shooting uh Ian Walsh, that big wave surfer, uh-huh. and we were shooting him at a gym and like who walks up to the gym I but you, and I go yeah. and I'm like, "Corey?" And you're like, "Yeah, hey, wait. I think I know you." And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, well, small world." Yeah. Um yeah, so living in Hawaii that seems like f- just fucking amazing, man. Right. Yeah, so yeah. life's good. Yeah, life is good. Um the music went from that point that I told you, I did the Zion I yeah. grouch stuff. And then I started concentrating more on Grouch and Eli. Yeah. We wanted to build that brand. So Every- does he fly out to work with you out there? How do you guys do that? Sometimes he yeah. does that. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, yeah. Everybody likes to come to Maui. So it's like, hey, what a I got an idea. Yeah, right. Let's make a new album in Maui. Yeah, like yeah. All, Like anybody I work with thinks that they come up with this brilliant idea every yeah. time. And it's like... <laughs> You know. <laughs> but funny. it's it's kind of crazy to make hip hop in Maui though. Like I had to learn, you know, 
I came from a little bit of struggle, nothing yeah. too crazy, but <clears throat> that's how I used to get my inspiration. Like, I'm going to show all these motherfuckers who are doubting me that I can right. make it, you right. know? And then, uh, you know, when something goes wrong, I'm going to write about it and get it off my chest. Now I live in Maui. I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful daughter. We stay in a gorgeous you Yeah, know, what place. are you supposed to complain about yeah. on record? Yeah, I can't yeah. complain anymore. Yeah. So I had to take this beauty and learn how to put it into hip hop that someone actually might want right. to listen no, to. No, I find that so interesting because I was saying like, you know, you look at Eminem's career and it's like once he got rich and he didn't have anything to fucking complain about and struggle, it's like it became uh, unlistenable to an extent, certain records. And, and there's a real problem with like once rappers get comfortable, like what do you have left to rap about? And, and uh, so, yeah, that's interesting that you've been able to take Maui and turn it into music because yeah. I, I feel like that would be hard. But but then some people are like, oh, I don't feel that. Right. You know? So right. it's like, and some people love it more. You right. know? So it's like some people only want to hear happy, positive stuff. Some people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, you know, and I, and I don't know. I, I try to, I try to make what I feel. Yeah. You know? What is life like? We'll wrap it up soon, but like, okay. what, what is life like nowadays, an average day in the life of Grouch? What percent of time are you putting towards music today, or is it something where you go, oh, I'm just going to spend two weeks doing it once a year, or, you know what I mean? I haven't been making music as much as I'd like to. Right. I always have the drive, the urge in my body to make it, um, but I also, like, living out there, <clears throat> when it's beautiful outside, and I look down... And I can see the ocean and it's so nice and like it's calling me. It's like, get out of the house. You gotta take advantage. You can't stay in the house today, right, right. you know, and, and have headphones on and be in your garage because right. I still have a, just a humble garage studio. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, then I come home at night and I'm like, oh shit, that was a great day. Right. And then I feel like some creative juice and then I'll get on the, the thing and make a beat or, you know, actually I don't, I don't, uh, produce as much as i used to um but you know and a day in the life of me is like waking up early in the morning making my daughter lunch driving her to school dropping her off coming back home dealing with emails and whatever kind of business is going on yeah. you know artwork or something <clears throat> um figuring out the schedule for a couple hours and then you know then maybe i'll either go to the beach or Go for a waterfall hike, you know what I mean? And then come back, and by that time, it's usually time to pick my daughter up again. Then I'll get my daughter and figure out something to do with her, work on homework with her, or take her to a swimming pool. Yeah. Um, but And then later on is when I usually try to hit the hit the studio when I come home. Yeah, for sure. Know? It seems like you've created a balanced adult rapper life, yeah. and that is commendable. Yeah. Uh, that's tight, man. And so then, like, once a year, you do the big, like, Grouch and Eli, or the Grouch Who Stole Christmas tour. Yeah, How the Grouch Stole Christmas. How the Grouch, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no and problem. that's kind of like, that, that seems like a pretty fucking, that, you could probably sustain a whole year off of that tour, I'm um, sure. I, I make most my money in the year off of that tour but i cannot sustain i cannot sustain a whole year on that right yeah i wish i could yeah, yeah. close enough but yeah. uh so what is next that's coming up soon then that's i did a, that that's the, already done how the grouch stole christmas we did it early this year oh, because okay. initially when i created how the grouch stole christmas not that many people were touring in december yeah and so we were killing it because the kids were coming home yeah. and they'd be at home for vacation and they'd be like what are we gonna do 
you know, and let's go see Grouch. And, and the only answer answer was go see Grouch. And then everybody was like, let's do tours in December because that's when people, people don't home. tour. Right. It's like, man, it's so many people doing shit now. It's like it's gotten way harder. There's a it's a you know? big market. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's touring. Everybody thinks the way you make your money is touring. Yeah. So everybody's out there. Well, but I mean somewhere in the back of your head you got to know that you guys helped create that mantra yeah you know what i mean like you, i mean you, part you, of it you know, i mean we that, contributed I, yeah to it. I, people watched and learned from you guys you know what i mean and you and you guys had a lot of people that followed in your footsteps and I, I don't know i'm just i'm very grateful that you took the time to do this this like to me was one of this is a really interesting interview i have fun uh, yeah absolutely thank yeah. you man and and yeah like just thank you for all that musical output over the years man it meant a lot to a lot of people so most definitely yeah uh tell the people where they can find you online um, the Grouch on Instagram, the real uh, the Grouch on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think I'm the Grouch on Twitter too. There you go. Yeah. But I'm trying to get off of that social media, but that's a really? whole nother conversation. It is. I- I'm kind of like v- vaguely off Instagram already. Oh, like yeah? it's kind of, I'm just kind of over it. I don't know why. That's I- the only one that I f- kind of like because I feel well, some creativity that one's is involved. be the but... easiest for you. That's a very <clears throat> photogenic place oh, that yeah, you yeah. live, man. True. Yeah. But I, yeah, I still like the t- I still like tweeting because I don't know. I like words and I don't yeah. write enough. So now I write in 140 characters, stupid yeah. sentences. But yeah. Um, yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate okay. it. You, you, he's one of these guys where you can just Google. You can just Google the Grouch and it'll it'll pop up. That works too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you can follow me at It's Intuition on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Instagram and Facebook and whatever, all that shit. And then uh, you follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat and go to youtube.com slash Kinda Neat. And other than that, subscribe to the podcast. Go Download that podcast app, search for Kinda Neat and subscribe. Five star ratings. Leave a review. And that's it, man. Thank you for this right long on. interview. I Thank you for time. having me. Yeah, man. that was The Grouch. Yeah. I'm Intuition and that was Kinda Neat. Cool.